0: Making sales social is about engaging your likely audience, your likely prospects as you build the offer. So you are truly co-creating with them, building a runway so that you are identifying both prospects and likely referral partners while you tweak and iterate the process. So when you finally have an offer for the market, the market is welcoming it and cheering you on, not saying like, who are you, what's this? Everything I'm doing, I want to make sure that there's an audience before i put a lot of energy money and time into uh, creating it. Welcome to the Making Sales Social Podcast, featuring the top voices in sales and marketing. Join hosts Bryn Tillman and Bill McCormick as they discuss the best tips and strategies they are teaching their clients so you can leverage them for your own virtual and social selling. Here are your hosts, Bryn Tillman and Bill McCormick.
1: Welcome back to Making Sales Social. I'm Bill McCormick. I'm Bryn Tillman. Bryn, who's joining us
2: today? My good friend and really so excited to have Robbie Samuels here. We met probably one of my last events prior to the shutdown in uh, the outskirts of Philadelphia in uh, with a group called Heroic Pub- Public Speaking. And he had come down from Massachusetts at the time We really connected, we had dinner together, we stayed in touch, and then even through the pandemic, we had some conversations on and off, and now he's practically my neighbor because he's moved down to Philadelphia. Robbie, welcome to Making Sales Social.
0: Thank you, it's really fun to be here. Thank you, Bryn.
2: So I'm thrilled to have you. Tell everyone a little bit about you and a little bit of your story.
0: Well, prior to the pandemic, I was uh, best known as a networking expert I wrote a book about that topic, about networking at conferences, Uh, did a TEDx in that topic, coached people, had a group coaching program, and essentially all of that came to a pause in March 2020 because the skills that I had been teaching around eye contact, business cards, shaking hands, and body language was no longer, uh, let's just say, relevant for the moment. I um, leaned into trying to figure out how to share value with my network how to show up and and be of service and uh, lo and behold that led to me going from shuttered to six figures in eight months and essentially i have a thriving um, business now as a virtual event design consultant and executive zoom producer and part of the reason that was possible is that i'm a business growth strategist and along the way over the years i've been working one-on-one and in groups uh, helping entrepreneurs identify the audience for their offer and i treated myself like a client last year and uh it was a great result
2: well we're thrilled because you have helped so many people everywhere i turn anyone that needed anything regarding how do i use zoom what is a breakout room oh you gotta talk to robbie samuels i'm like i know him he's my friend so you became really famous for uh these online events so that's great so i know bill you have your thing to say go ahead Uh
1: I'm 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 looking forward to getting into this. My brain's going in a few different directions, but before we get to that, Robbie, we ask every guest the same first question to kick things off. What does making sales social mean to you?
0: Well, I think that nothing should be created in a vacuum, and that's one of the mistakes that I think every entrepreneur makes, including myself. So, making sales social is about engaging your likely audience, your likely prospects, as you build the offer, so you are truly co-creating with them building a runway so that you are identifying both prospects and likely referral partners while you tweak and iterate the process. So when you finally have an offer for the market, the market is welcoming it and cheering you on, not saying like, who are you, what's this? So I I don't do anything without socializing at first, including the title of my book, the subtitle of my book, the contents of my book, like I have a new book coming out, which is why I've been thinking about this. I mean, everything I'm doing I want to make sure that there's an audience before i put a lot of energy money and time into uh, creating it
2: i love that collaborative mentality that you know we're not creating in a vacuum we're creating with the people that are going to consume it so i Mm -hmm. love that
1: so you know zoom is here and it's not going anywhere i just got an email today you know Mackenzie came out with a report just recently that said, that that more than seventy percent of B two B buyers prefer virtual interactions with salespeople. In fact, that that same report I think said seventy four percent said that they're going to require first meetings with sales reps to be virtual, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't they don't want to go through the, the the rigmarole of checking right. someone in, taking temperatures, checking car. You know, God forbid we have to check things. But anyway, so I'm curious to know. What are some of the things as a sales rep? So, as I said, that I should know in using Zoom for for virtual meetings. Like, what's different? Because it used to be. I was just talking the other day with folks. You know, you know, we go from meeting to meeting to meeting now. Like, I, I mean, literally, where we used to drive between appointments and have that kind of time of calm cool down, and you know, I can kind of take a. We don't have that anymore. It's like, oh my god, I'm late for the next one. Click off, click on. So, what what are a few tips that you would give for sales reps in, in leveraging zoom, leveraging video to have a first sales meeting with a client or a prospect.
0: The first thing I just heard from that I want to address Bill is I want all of us to acknowledge that we are the arbiter of our own schedules. And there is no reason that things are back to back to back to back to back. If it would benefit us and our company to have a 15 minute buffer, a 30 minute buffer between calls, or maybe four phone calls in a row and then a large break to take all your notes and wrap them up. We need to build that time in. So just because we can go back to back to back to back doesn't actually mean it's the best thing for ourselves, for our longevity in this work, for our like Zoom fatigue, whatever you want to call it. But I do think Zoom and any similar platform, I am most, you know, tied to Zoom uh, brand wise. but. I think there's a lot of benefits and particular zoom has a feature now where you can enable the live transcription, Mm -hmm. which means that when you're done with the call you get the you know it's a computer generated transcript. That we don't have time to rewatch all the replays of all the content we've recorded and i'm never going to it's like a proverbial stack of books next to my bed, but I can do a quick search through a transcript to try to identify problem language or to see whether a certain word was used and to just like to quote somebody i mean i think that's so amazing before we would have to actually run a audio file or a video file through a third-party service like otter.ai or or mm-hmm. rev.com and now we could just if we remember to enable it. it is just built in and there's so many benefits to that um, i'm also i believe it's possible to engage people online and and to create that relationship i've met more people and had deeper connections in the last 18 months than the three years prior and i know and like a lot of people so um i am a big in person like i taught people how to network in person for me to say it's all possible it's just that you have to be thoughtful about how we're leveraging not just digital tools but also analog tools in making sure an event and a meeting is really truly engaging and welcoming everybody.
2: I love it. I I like to to ask because I I know I want to move into the direction of um, building the audience sure. on social. But before we go there, I want to ask um, on Zoom when you're in a business development role, when you're in a sales role, do you have any tips for making that a little more engaging or? i i know you have tips what are some of your tips for making (laughs) one is
0: i mean i have been looking at you the entire time we're doing this call Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and a lot of people don't do this this is the simplest thing we can do it's free it requires a tiny bit of training on our part but if i just did this the entire time looking down um, or looking over whether i'm looking over at you in the gallery or looking over at my notes the whole time or looking over at my other screen i mean like I think that um, looking at the camera and there's lots of things you can do to train your eyes to go up there. You can, my favorite actually is someone I know puts googly eyes above their camera. Like literally- Oh, I love they, that. They glued some googly eyes, but you could uh, take a picture of someone that, uh, or your pet or something you love and like cut tiny little hole in the bottom for the camera part. Have that be something you look at. You can, you know, put arrows <laughs> from like the sign here, stickers. Um, I have a little tiny piece of tape and I know that's to left of my green light and you just I just make sure I know that this is the first step towards engagement. Because averting my eyes throughout the whole call is like really a missed opportunity for connection and everything else we do are bells and whistles compared to this like this is baseline know enough about your content and not have to be staring down the whole time
2: so i love that and i need to hear that because i'm looking at you from my like i'm looking at your mouth move and then but you don't see that you see me looking down because your picture is below mine so i i need to hear that i did a whole presentation that was recorded for an outbound conference and i was looking at the side the whole time
0: right now there's three of us so you could actually drag me from the bottom to the top row and move me underneath your camera
2: oh my god how easy is that and now i'm really looking at you and the camera
1: right smart yeah
2: i I, I got what i needed that was awesome mike dropped (laughs) i got
1: i got yelled at so i've got to build i've got to build buffers into my, into my schedule. But yeah, I mean, often, so I look at the the dot there's a, on my camera, there's a, a white dot. That's what I look at all the time. Uh, but, but it does, there is a got to weigh it because a lot of communication is nonverbal. Right? I, I
0: actually, your periphery virtual vision is quite good because um when I've got a gallery full of people, I can see when someone's smiling or shifting, I'll call it exactly. their name. Um, that's another form of engagement to acknowledge. Oh, yep. Bryn gets it. Now, Bryn's gonna give me a big smile, yeah, right. And like over time, I have cultivated those people into being regular attendees of the events that I host because they now feel identified as part of that community. I mean, I think that's that's part of this. Is like, how do you help people feel like they're 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 part mm-hmm. of the experience?
2: I will tell you, putting you right under the camera is such an easy thing, and now it's yeah. so easy. I love that. Um, So, talk a little bit. One of the areas you are so strong in is building an audience, building people that want to attend your events, building this online network. So we've been saying sales, but salespeople need to network. They used to go to trade shows and conferences, and uh, you know business card exchanges. And now mostly they they have Zoom for networking. Now I have done a few networking events. One of them. Uh, I went to one that you were in and I've been to some where we've just sort of showed up. I'm like, oh, look, Ravi's here. Right. So that's been kind of fun. And I've had a better connection with some people from these Zoom networking events than I ever have in in an in-person loud room with a keynote that I've got to get to. And like, oh, and then, oh, I want to get to the crab cakes. Right. Like all those distractions are gone. But talk about at, how do you draw in an audience? How do you build an audience uh, for networking?
0: Looking to up your LinkedIn game? The Social Sales Link team has you covered with our LinkedIn Sales Accelerator, a guided social selling program that includes training, coaching, and so much more. Visit com slash in for more details. Again, that's com slash in. Well, yeah, because I mean, there's audiences for what you're trying to sell. Um, The thing I I would just say about that is that I tend to work with entrepreneurs, particularly entrepreneurial women in their 50s and beyond who are working on their product market fit and uh, lead generation once they figure that piece out. And for me, I'm always telling them to lean into their existing network and go find people who know, like and trust them. And I have a whole process called Wake Up Your Network which is giving you an opportunity to really identify people who would recognize your name and you would love to hear from out of the blue and then deciding whether they fall into the bucket of likely prospect, likely referral partner, coffee chat, or we'll snooze them for now and save them for the next version of whatever I'm trying to sell or do or build. So I just think for whatever we're doing, whether it's an event or it's a product or service or whatever, that us understanding who are those people that are go to people in our network to help us spread the word, make introductions, you know, to me, we've already met 80% of the people we need to know to be successful. That is a belief Mm -hmm. that I have. And a lot of us Mm -hmm. think about networking in the context of going to events and, you know, spraying and praying our business cards, but 80% of the people we've already met. So what are we doing to really leverage, engage, connect, deepen whatever word you want to use? with the people and, and remember them because it's not who you know or what you know, it's who you know, who knows what you know, and I'll even add, and will they remember you. So when my events thing started, I will say that I, I within two days of struggling, I, I came to accept what was happening. I had been listening to Rachel Maddow. So I kind of saw the writing on the wall mm-hmm. and everything was gone. And I uh, was really trying to figure out how to show up and add value in a world that no longer needed my services and my peer network. I was meeting with a peer mastermind kicked me in the butt and told me to go create something that networking for me was not happening only at events. And so I wrote nine ways to network in a pandemic and then thought that night, Thursday night, I should do one of these. And that is how the first virtual happy hour got scheduled for Friday at five on March 13th, 2020, and people say. Why is it Friday at five? It's like because I got the idea at like seven o'clock Thursday night. Um, so, and I'm impatient, so I want to get going. So I I hosted that that week, and I've hosted it every week since, including on Christmas Day. And it it's 18 months later, and we're still you know building community and collaboration and incredible incredible engagement. So I will say a big piece of that is consistency, showing up consistently. The other piece is continuous improvement. Every time you speak or host online or pretty much do anything, we should get 5% better. And so what I did those first few times and what I do now, nothing. Do not compare the two, right? Don't judge me my first three attempts, judge me on my last three. And so I think consistently showing and offering value, being responsive to what people need, iterating. I mean, it's really kind of hard to fail because you're always going to be learning something. So even if something's not working, like I could tell you all the things that I try to sell the beginning of the pandemic that didn't work um, but instead I can tell you I created multiple revenue streams that did work right so mm-hmm. don't get stuck in what didn't work learn from it iterate it and i have not sold to that community like that is not a community that I I charge for but it it is what absolutely launched all the referrals into all the other things that I do have as revenue so and the credibility and my know-how I mean I I don't know where I'd be if I hadn't decided to do that.
2: That's awesome. You know, it's funny. One of the things that we teach, it's a core piece of what we teach on LinkedIn is to take inventory of your existing connections. And we say we need to conduct CPR. Yeah. We need to breathe life back into them, but we have to identify our clients, our prospects, and our referral partners. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you have our coffee people, that would be referral partners in, in our mind. Right. So, um, from that, it's how do you start conversations with them? But what you did was you had a place for them to meet when we were shut down and people were, you know, struggling to have, uh, you know, they, they needed the people engagement and, you know, all they had were their yeah. kids and their dogs and, you know, they needed that professional engagement. You took it to this whole other level of I have a safe place for you and a place where, you know, we can. Talk about how does our business thrive in this situation? And uh, we have a mutual friend, Lynn Williams, who said, I mean, you got her through the pandemic. Your group oh. was, so, you know, one of the most um, powerful things for her. And I know she talks about how grateful she is to that. So,
0: it's good to hear. Yeah, I mean, and, I, I yeah. joked, Bryn, the first couple of times that people were just grateful to talk with someone online, like they weren't in charge of feeding. You know, like we, we were trapped at home and at its height and uh, its heyday, we had 50, 60 people every single week. But there are people who've been coming weekly 50, 60, 70, 80 times. Like, I mean, dedicated to this space and those relationships, even if I don't sit in for four months, like I'm I'm not going to forget who these people are and vice versa. So I think that's the key that changed between in-person and virtual was that in-person was annual, maybe monthly but not every month, right?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Monthly when you can get there. I think I wasn't attending things that were consistently week to week kind but of activity. and i
2: groups or things like right. that. Right,
0: I wasn't doing that. And I think that's where those relationships get strengthened. And in person, that was a very kind of onerous thing to do, like, ah, uh, you know, to, to take up the time. It was a real commitment. It was a lot easier to say yes in a virtual space. And I think that that really mattered.
1: Well, I, and I was going to say, and wouldn't you think Virtual levels the playing field because when when I show up in an in person event, I can go find Brynn and Robbie, and we can stand in the corner and we can have our little our, yeah. our our three and no more, four and no more. And somebody comes up and talks to us, we kind of give them the death stare because we don't want to talk to them. Not
2: Robbie, he's good. Not, at that. No,
1: no, he was part of our group. We, we I included him and in we, virtual. No, I
2: mean he 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 brings people in usually. Right.
1: Yeah but, but, but in virtual, you're not able to do that. You, you can't go off on your own. It really, it really levels the playing field. And I just think of the groups that I've been a part of in these last 18 months. And I've developed some really close relationships with people that I never would have met
2: mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I
1: never would have had. I may have had a phone call. It's not the same.
2: Larry Levine. Wow.
1: Right. Exactly. And now when I see them, it's going to be like, Oh my God, like long lost friends.
0: You remember when uh, Twitter uh, was still cool and like no one was really on it, and we all to- talked about what we have for breakfast. I I remember getting tweet introduced to someone. I was at a live event and someone said, "You know, who you should meet." She's not here. Twitter introduction. We followed each other, tweeted back and forth for a few months, and I went walked into an event and she was standing there, and she ran over and gave me a hug. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like that. It's like that intimacy mm-hmm. of. Being the people who've explored this relationship online, and then you suddenly have an in-real life moment. I can't wait to get back to hugging strangers. I mean, I can't wait for that. And I also experience like this online being great. Yes, Bryn.
2: Yeah, I was gonna there's a a quote by um, Brian Fanzo. And his quote Mm -hmm. is, and and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna tweak it afterwards, but his quote, which is 10 years old now, is social media does not replace a handshake, but it turns a handshake into a hug. So virtual meetings Mm -hmm. do not replace a handshake but will turn the handshake into a hug yeah so i just wanted i just wanted to share that before i forgot so i don't know if you know who brian fanzo is i love
0: him yeah yeah Yeah, he's a great guy one of the things that i've been focusing on lately with my new book is around how do you turn like this network that we all have into clients and my focus has been research calls and really developing an audience before you develop the offer, and it's it's really you know it reminds me of um, Mike McCallowitz's Profit First book. Mm-hmm. It like blew my mind, but you know in retrospect, it's so obvious that we should treat ourselves like that and like take the money out before we spend the money on other things. Like you know, it he, just, yeah. it was sort of like, duh, you know, I was like struggling with this question. And I feel like it's the same thing. Like, why would we create an offer without knowing if we had buyers? So would talk to really... me about
2: the book a little bit and some of the, the insights inside the book that everyone. Well, the book is called Small
0: List, Big Results, Launch a Successful Offer, No Matter the Size of Your Email List. Now, that subtitle is really pointing to the problem, the little p problem that everyone experiences the symptom. They think the reason they're not able to sell is because they have a small email list. So they go and they hire people to help them build an email list, but they already have a network. So you could have a zero email list, a hundred person email list, a 2000 person email list. It doesn't matter. You have a network of people who already know, like, and trust you, that you've probably known for 10, 15, 20 years. And it's a question of how do you wake up that network and have those research calls, identify the problems that people are saying they have, which is I call them their symptoms, but I call them little P problems because in, in the minds of those people, they're problems. But they're not the problem that you see as an expert. And one of the things I think we often do is there's a mismatch between the solution we sell and what people think they need. Mm-hmm. And so we're selling a solution, and people are like, I only have this little tiny problem. That's 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 not me. And so we need to make sure in all of our marketing, all of our outreach, all of our conversations, whatever we're doing. That we're always helping people kind of think differently. So they're not just thinking about the small P problem, but they're becoming more aware of the actual problem. And maybe realizing like you might be a person who can help them with a solution. Mm-hmm. Right. Like starting to see you as that guide. And then ultimately it's a question of what is the cost of inaction? If you know there's a problem mm-hmm. and you have a solution and you have a guide, not taking action. What you know? And then the question is, is, is there a now moment? Is this is and at that point, people are just asking to work with you. Like, I'm all about attraction based selling. I'm mm-hmm. not just pushing things on people that they don't need. So I, I that the book is really about that. The solution is not build a bigger email list. The solution is to go and think about your network. But it also talks about goal setting and how you know working with 12 week sprints is a lot of storytelling. <laughs> I have this idea that in between 12 so rather than quarterly goal setting, which is something I was an advocate for for a very long time um, and, and benefited from greatly that you do 12 weeks and then you have four weeks where you're not focusing on all your goals, but you know you can wrap them up a little bit, but the week one, it's about reflect and assess what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, not the whole week, right? Let's take a couple hours. Week two, take some time off, relax and rejuvenate. Week three is about that just-in-case learning, um, which is you know the the replays, the books, the podcasts that pile up when you're really focusing on other things. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth week is about setting strategic goals with all of that in mind for your next 12 weeks. When you focus on quarterly goals, there's no downtime. You're always taking from your goal time. If you take time off, if you do anything that's not focused on those goals, it's it feels like we've got to keep running. And I think there are problems as entrepreneurs is that we don't build in that downtime. So um, I've been doing that now for the last year and a half. And it's been very helpful to see looking ahead that I have time off built into my calendar. I'm um, in time to do all these te- these pieces
2: that's awesome i don't so i have to start listening to this i'm the back to back to back to back to back till 9 p.m every night um so i, I think i need to absorb some of this <laughs> yes
1: yes i this i and awesome. we and and we we all do so um Well, we could keep going, but uh, we are coming to the end of our time, Robbie. So thank you so much for for being with us. Tell the folks how they can connect with you, find out more about you and what you're doing.
0: Well, uh, you can go to smalllistbigresults.com and you will find not only a link to buy the book on Amazon, but also all the bonus material, which I'm calling the Big Results Toolkit. And uh, I walk people through lots of these um, workbooks related to materials Great. in the book, uh, how to wake up your network, how to analyze the problem language, the 12-week sprint, what to do in between the four weeks, all of that's actually is downloadable material. Even if you don't buy the book, you can get the content either way. And um, I also would love people to join me any Friday, five o'clock Eastern, nomorebadzoom.com. Uh, and robbysamuels.com wow. is just the home for all parts of my business. I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur, and that's the place where it all makes sense.
1: Fantastic. Love it yeah well,
2: this is so much fun yeah.
1: thank, thanks for being with us uh, for another My pleasure session of making sales social and to our listeners thanks for joining us and this week as you're out and about don't forget to make your sales social we'll see you next time bye
0: bye everyone thanks for listening and join us again for more special guest instructors bringing you marketing sales training and social selling strategies that will set you apart Don't forget to subscribe to get the latest episodes from the Making Sales Social Podcast. Leave a review down below. Tell us what you think, what you learned, and what you want to hear from us next. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Visit our website, socialsaleslink.com, for more information.